Good morning and greet each one in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen to all that was said in the Sunday school and uh, the blessing that has been. Uh, It was such a blessing to be at uh, viewing on Friday. And I thought it was so neat. Um, Pearl was sitting at the head end there, right at the coffin or whatever and she was telling of a conversation that went on between her and Louise just last weekend. And when they sensed that Louise was going to leave us here for a little while, uh, Pearl begged her to take her along and said, you know, I'd like to go with you. And they had a neat conversation in that that Pearl was sharing with us. And uh, I thought that was so so great. What a, what a way to go. And some of you shared what Pearl has meant in your life, and it was such a, such a neat way to go. I look at Louise uh, and feel there a blessing, and there was a couple older people checked out from Louise. And I just look at Louise as the gateway to heaven right now. And he says they have an empty room if somebody wants to, to rent it right now. And that's a blessing. But uh, it was good to walk through there. And when we were down there, I visited with Chris, and he says hi to everyone, and he's doing well. And on his mind continually is the blessing that a church group and a family is, and his plea for all of you not to take it for granted. A lot of people that he hangs around with down there don't have family, don't have anyone. It's like the ones that Ben was sharing about this morning. Uh, they, have, they walk a different path. So Eric and Todd had messages on uh, money, and we're going to continue to look at that subject this morning. I appreciated so much uh, the groundwork that Eric laid and the, and the, the things that he gave us each all to, to spring off of. And I appreciated so much Eric's thought on finances and how we look at them and look at people and he pleaded for us to find another way to keep score and I like that thought so much like this morning how do you look how do you view a person with more money than you a wealthy person um, do you look at them with envy or another bad way is looking them that you resent them how do you view somebody that has a bit more than you finding another way to keep score and Todd talked on the trap of materialism and I loved so much his uh, his look at that the opposite of materialism isn't laziness the opposite of materialism is giving and I just really like that thought. Sometimes it's so helpful when you take something and try to say, okay, let me figure this out and let me see what the opposite is. It helps you to, to rivet it in your mind and get a grip on it. And what I was giving, given to speak on and think about is looking forward to your final audit is the name of my topic. And then under there... Three things, giving, diligence, and contentment. 
thinking along lines of money, to stimulate your thinking, different how you view financial uh, obligations and things, financial your financial patterns. And just because Eric and Todd and I are sharing these things doesn't mean that we haven't figured out. As we look at these things, it, it challenges us and, and we find ourselves uh, being motivated by it. So, Ross and I were talking about a mutual acquaintance. And Ross said, what do you think? Somebody not from this area. And uh, he said, how do you feel about exotic a person having a room and having exotic animals like a zebra that he hunted himself and that kind of thing. And I said to Ross, well, I don't know. How do you feel about it? And this individual that we were discussing about 35 years ago or so, there's a, another lady asked me how I felt about this same individual. And I said, how do you feel about it? And she said his name, and she said, he has a snowmobile, and he calls himself a Christian. Are we getting into your territory yet, or do we need to back it up a little bit? When my mom, and you, I've used this before, but it, it fits in here, when my mom and our family sat at the curb looking at a new house that was finished of a Mennonite person and it was rumored to have reached a hundred thousand and my mom said nobody needs a hundred thousand dollar house up at Quick Trip the other day I was so my heart was lifted but I didn't know how to feel about it this a uh, young gentleman, maybe 28 or 30, come bebopping out of the thing with a big tray of hot dogs. And he said, hey, you, you ate one of my hot dogs, didn't you? And I turned to see who he was looking at. And it was his dog that was sitting in his red pickup truck there. And his dog was kind of saying, well, maybe I did and maybe I didn't. And he was just, and as he walked out, he was talking to him and him and the dog shared uh, hot dogs. When we were in the uh, age group that a lot of youths are and our children were being driven, and I think I mentioned this before, it fits in here. One of the people that we drove school children with, and we did different ones, don't try to figure it out. One of the girls said, well, maybe... If you would quit buying tasty cakes for your lunch, you could afford a decent car. <laughs> it was heartwarming. <laughs> uh, teachers have the benefits of seeing into the parents' souls sometimes when they, when they work with our children. Dorcas Schmucker is writing something right now that you should tap into. It's on this idea of money and in our circles. And she writes that one of the ways, somebody wrote a book that she referenced that one of the ways that 
you can tell somebody oftentimes by the way they carry themselves or the way they but oftentimes by their teeth a poor person won't get braces we couldn't afford braces for our youngins when they were but a poor person doesn't get braces but often a wealthy person has perfect teeth and has really nice teeth but a poor person often can't afford braces but that Dorcas Schmucker life in the shoe uh, take a circle over there sometime and, and talk and look at her thoughts on finances. They were dirt poor. We're stimulating your thinking on finances, how you view them. What is it about the Anabaptists, the Amish and Mennonites and Hutterites that turn the charts upside down when it comes to successful businesses. Why? Why is that? Other small uh, groups. Side groups, subcultures, often don't experience the same kind of outcome. For instance, Native Americans and so forth. Why is it that 95% of the Amish and Mennonite and Hutterite businesses that go into businesses are still in business five years later. And the failure rate in this culture that we live in is at least 50% and depends where you get your information, it's more like 65 or 70% failure rate of businesses that start and are out of business within the first five years. By most measurements that are scientific, we shouldn't be making it at all. We should have a pretty rough time. I would say in our current greater group of Anabaptist setting, I would say probably, I don't know, you might disagree with this, and this is off the top of my head, I don't know this, but I would say probably half of them didn't complete high school. What do you think? This school movement that you're used to now and that you're blessed with was fairly new. It started in my day. And a lot of times we quit at 8th grade or quit at 6th grade or something like that there. And we're a subculture... And there's a lot of, we're not early adapters when it comes to all the new stuff oftentimes. And and, uh, yet 95 plus of the businesses that go into business in the Anabaptist setting make it. And then I look at a group of people in an auditorium and they're listening intently and they're in a big school that's Mennonite-owned or Amish-owned or whatever. Are there a big auditorium or a big gym and there's 500, there's 600, there's 1,000 of them and they're listening to a speaker intently and they're paying attention and it's a CAM meeting and a wide mixture of that of the culture we're talking about is sitting in that meeting, some of them with deep pockets, some of them with not. But then I look at the things that they're saying and the countries that they're helping in and how they're making a difference 
this this week my uh, nephew's down in Texas under CAM. He's spending a month down there as a group leader. And my brother said, he was talking to him, and somebody asked him, what would make you do it? What would make you leave your work and come down here and help us? And when you do this sometime, get on the CAM uh, website and go down to where it says where who audits their books and press on the audit and look at their financial statement. And you think, wow, you know, like it was saying there, um, this was the budget last year for the 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 signs on the side of the road, the street signs, billboards. Thanks, Ruthie. This is the this is the budget for the billboard, two million dollars. And I'm thinking, are you serious? That seems like a lot, but then I look at, go down over the list and the list and the list of all these things that God is doing there, and I think, no, it's a fraction of it. And they're getting an average of 305 calls every day. And then they're in Yemen, they're in Kenya and Nepal and Haiti and... Greece and Bangladesh. And it's supported by a subculture of uneducated losers. How does that work? And I look at the list and I say, here there's something, this is just, you know, these are seeds. And there's somebody over in Romania saying, there's no way I could have made it. And I got these seeds and I got all this produce and I sold some of the produce and my children had this. And it started with you. The Lord can take those little offerings that you put in there. And I look at it and see Ham is one of them, but they have, they have blessed me through the years how they were able to Start where they did and cross culture lines and not get caught in the gears of we don't work with them and we don't work with them. And they, they were able to cross that, those delicate uh, lines and were able to work together to get us all to work together. And they have, in the last couple of years, there was just a whole bunch of, of floods and, and disasters and needs and they worked in 23-some states. User, a couple of us are going down, or you folks are going down. Tim, am I going along? <laughs> a few of us are going, or a few of you are going down there and uh, to Texas. And they were in 20-some states in the last couple of years, and the needs were just incredible. And the amount of houses they built, to me, is, is eye-popping. So the Bible on giving is it talks about sacrificial giving. And I'm not going to get caught in the gears. Some of you people will say that it that you must give ten percent, the tithe means a tenth. And some people feel like 
uh, that was uh, like some of the rules back there. But Jesus talks about tithes. There's, there's, but it talks about a biblical view of stewardship. The word stewardship. This isn't yours, what you have. Stewardship can be defined as utilizing and managing all money or all resources, time and money, God provides for the glory of God and for the betterment of His creation. Psalms 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Everything's the Lord's. And 1 Corinthians says, Moreover, it is required in a steward that the man be found faithful. And in Malachi, back then when he was doing the training and so forth, he was saying, uh, Moreover, our, uh, Malachi 3, will, you, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But, ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? And he says, in tithes and in offerings. Offerings is above the tithes. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes to the storehouse, that there, be, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time of the field, says the Lord. That's, that last verse was, he's going to rebuke the, the devourer. Do you ever have a day where everything goes right? It just really goes well. And then, did you ever have a day, like, uh, I apologize for using golf, but it, in my mind it, it fits so well. Like, some days you'll be playing a game of golf, and, and everything that gets close to the, that you put close to the hole falls in. And the next day you'll be playing, and it seems nothing goes, nothing goes right. Nothing goes, any putt that you do doesn't fall in the... Well, the Lord says what He can do, if you do your part, He can make sure that the devourer doesn't devour. The opposite, Todd said, the opposite of materialism is not laziness, it's giving. Sacrificial giving. There's a neat story. There's 20 men from the island of Sumatra, Indonesia area there. Um... And when the flood was in Louisiana, Hurricane Katrina, they sent money. They sent $854 over to help with the people at Katrina. The average income, uh, they had got hit in 04 with that tsunami. That tsunami that killed so many people. And a church group Baptist church group from Louisiana went over there and worked with them to help rebuild. And so when the flood was, when Katrina, when the flood was, they sent $854. 20 different men got together and said, they make 100 bucks a month is the wage, the average wage over there. And they sent 800 and some dollars to the group. What a blessing. What a blessing that is. Sacrificial giving. 
There was a man in back in my home area who heard of a farmer that was give, having trouble. And he did a little research around the back of things and found out that it was a legitimate need. It wasn't laziness and it wasn't uh, mismanagement and so forth. And there was nothing that need tweaked. It was circumstances that happened. And he wrote a check out and he sent it to him. And this person had the wrong, there was four or five, in there we have four or five or half a dozen that have the same first and last names. That's just uh, how it is in there. And he thanked another person by that same name. And that other person took the credit and said, you're welcome. And it wasn't, and the one who gave it was aware of that and didn't say anything. And it came out by mistake sometime many years later. Sacrificial giving, not pretending. There was somebody in Acts that pretended to give. There's warnings against that. But Luke says, the widow sacrificially gave. 10% is a sacrifice. But sometimes the Lord's going to ask you to give more than that because you can. And sometimes you can give more than that without sacrificing. But in a lot of budgets, 10% makes a difference. But the idea here and the training here is that we're to give sacrificially. Boy, if I would have money, I would. if I'd have his kind of money, I would give. No, that's not, that's not what we're t- training here. Matthew 6 gives you a comparison of earthly treasures versus uh, heavenly treasures. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth does rust, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay for your, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. And if you're like me, you believe that, but there's a part of you that finds it hard to give sacrificially of your time and your talents and your money and your resources that you're the steward over that aren't really yours. If you want to know whether you think they're yours or not, if you're always getting a bad deal and you're fussing about it, you're probably feeling like they took you across and not the Lord across. But if you can, if you can let somebody take advantage of you and go on and treat them with respect and not bring their name down in the community, then you're probably giving, willing to give sacrificially. Identify your purpose in life. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where you invested in was the challenge that I kept coming back to me. That kept coming back to me. Was it, you know, and it can be money or sports or food or career or relationships. Where's your heart? Where are you invested in? What makes you tick?
He also gave me the word diligence to look at and, and uh, to get us to think about in, uh, uh, in the same category as money, but think of diligence, which the Bible does a lot of. So, go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, no overseer, no ruler, provideth her meat for the summer and gathereth her food and harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of their sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little fooling of the hands, and, and there's a disaster. I was, I, I was really blessed again to see uh, school children. If uh, your school, you're working hard, and you glance around, and, and uh, Mr. Patrick's watching you, and you keep busy, and you kind of look at the clock, and then you glance, and Patrick is glancing at you, so you get back to work. If Patrick would leave the room, would you stay busy? Or would you start looking around and snickering at each other? And what the verse is saying here is that the ant, without an overseer, without a teacher, or without anybody watching, works real hard and works real diligently. Now, it's talking to your parents, but this applies to you, too. Eric Westner does research in, uh, for a college, and he does a lot of research on why Amish businesses and Mennonite businesses don't have the failure rate. They try to understand that. So he was interviewing different people there, and the question that he kept asking, you can look it up on YouTube. Uh, he's talking to Amish and Mennonites, and he must have been asking the same question. And they said, well, we leave the house around four. Well, and then the next one, well, we leave the house around 3.30 or four. And then the next one, well, we leave the house at 4.30. And some of the ladies, well, we leave the house at 5 a.m. Which, having no guide or overseer or ruler, leave the house pretty early. There's no, nothing magical about that. But God wants us to be diligent when it comes to finances. He wants us to work hard and give sacrificially. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, Ecclesiastes. And Proverbs 10.4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. In this, I can't help myself. Uh, and if it's become a hobby horse, I apologize. But I think there's certain challenges on how this generation is going to teach their children how to work. Uh, we can do it. God is faithful. No worries. But I'm just alerting you that in our day we worked harder as children, I believe, than what you're experiencing now. And children uh, don't don't write me off here. You're going to thank me. When you go out in the marketplace today, most people are not trained to work. And it costs them a whole lot. And thank the Lord for parents that care and parents that are giving you 
the tools and the, and, the, and, the, and the love of work. One of the things that I think is so sad is like, like people that end up in prison or end up they they hate work and look forward to the weekend. And one of the difference between our culture and we embrace work and enjoy work while we're doing it. We're having a good day. We like Mondays as good as we like Sundays. I guess, anyway. I, don't, I, didn't, get, <laughs> I didn't get a lot of amens there, but we, we enjoy our work. If, if you're not enjoying your work, then learn to enjoy it. Side to Frida. And learn to enjoy it. Grab a hold and do it like you mean it. Just a couple real quick thoughts. Parents, model hard work for them. We can't expect our children to work hard unless we model that for them. Another one, remember that it will take more work. It requires patience. It takes a little while. It's easier to do it yourself. It's faster to do it yourself, but work through it. Work through the training. Teach them. Give age-appropriate chores. I think here's where, where we made a mistake, and I'm sorry about it, but if the little guy has to reach up here for the chop saw to bring it down, maybe he's not ready for a chop saw. Just age-appropriate. I think there's some very, very good uh, thought to be put into that. Make work enjoyable. Uh, if there's a tense attitude around, life is work. We're here on earth, and that's part of our thing. And we embrace that because of the Lord and the blessing. And don't, don't, have, don't make uh, it unbearable. Uh, make work enjoyable. Uh, enjoy work. And encouragement and affirmation go a long way. When the Lord does that to you, recognize the achievements that helps us feel valued. You don't need to wish harder. A lot of times you need to work harder. Uh, I just, it was really a blessing to see all those Mennonites and Amish and uh, with the parent question, what time do you get here? Well, we leave the house at four. Contentment. We don't leave the house at four because we want more brand name clothing. Contentment is my final one here. In a world that is driven for success, and what success means is a lot of stuff. Financial security, things, name brand stuff, new stuff. You choose, in thinking of contentment and what it has to do with our businesses and money and the way we handle money, you choose whether you're happy or unhappy. You, you choose that. It doesn't mean we don't try to improve. <clears throat> Enjoy simple things. Simplicity. Solve the problem in your heart of I want more. As you chase it your whole life, and it's always just one step ahead of you. Contentment. Timothy says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For it's sure that you brought nothing into this earth, and it's for sure you're not taking anything out. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Nick Volchisik, 
believe is the pronunciation of the, that young man you're familiar with that was born without arms or legs. When his dad was in and he was given birth and his dad noticed in the, in the time of birth that he was born without a right arm and strength just drained out of him and he had to leave the room. And when the doctor finally came out to him, he said to the doctor, Doctor, he doesn't have a right arm. And the doctor said, he doesn't have arms or legs. And so you had this young uh, Nick struggling with that. And for the first four months, his parents couldn't pick him up very much. Uh, couldn't care for him. They were so stressed. Didn't know what to make of it. And uh, at eight, with what he was going through, the limitations and the struggles and, and that kind of thing, at eight, he asked his mom for a bath and they put him in there and he tried to lay with his face in the water. And he just couldn't do it. He tried to, he was, at eight, he was already thinking of the pain he was causing his parents and the limitations that came into his life. And he was regularly struggling with the question, why? Why, Lord? So at 15, he became a dedicated Christian. 15, he gave his heart to the Lord. And now he stands, somebody stands him up on a table, and he's spoken with thousands and thousands and thousands of people worldwide. And one of the things he says on contentment is says, enough is enough. We have hope. And he says, hope and contentment isn't found in the fact that somebody's suffering more than you. That's not where you get hope. Hope is found in who the Lord is. The love that the Lord, who, who God is. And he says, enough, enough. So they can put him up on a table in front of an auditorium of youth. And he can look at them girls and young guys and he say, some of the young girls struggle with how they look, their looks, or their abilities. Or, and he's saying to the girls, listen girls, each one of you are beautiful. Just exactly how you are. And he's looking at the guys and he's saying, you know, here's a guy with so many limitations. He doesn't have arms or legs. And his testimony to us is that enough is enough. And our faith in God and our hope in God is enough. No matter what happens. And I, I need that... That's not where I'm at. When Ben was saying, what do you do when you keep losing? And you lose this. And you lose this. Answered prayers are nice and we praise the Lord for that. But what about those of you who begged the Lord and it didn't turn out that way? Can you still stand and say, blessed be the name of the Lord? So, excuse my using a reference here, but it came to my mind. It's how carnal I am. Oak Ridge Boys. 
we used to go hear them as children. They had a, uh, a folk song or a country song or something like that. How many times have you heard someone say, if I had his money, I could do things my way? But little they realize that it's so hard to find one rich man in ten with a satisfied mind. Once I was waiting in fortune and fame, everything that I dreamed for to get a start in life's game. Then suddenly it happened, I lost every dime, and I'm richer by far with a satisfied mind. Money can't buy back your youth when you're old, or a friend when you're lonely, or a love that's grown cold. The wealthiest person is a pauper at times compared to the man with a satisfied mind. It's not what you have this morning. It's who you have. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And it is for sure that you brought nothing into this earth. And it's absolutely for sure that you're not going to take anything out. When Eric says, we've got to find another way to keep score... It's if you can lose something and you can praise the Lord through that loss. In closing, we were, as a ministry, as we kicked this back and forth, we were surprised about how much there is in money. And I don't know, uh, Eric and Todd both got requests to give some more on it. It's so relevant. It's so needed for us. But either way, whether they decide to give more, hopefully that will whet your appetite as you think through it, research and ponder what it means to you. Compassion can be so complicated sometimes and we seldom realize the battles people are going through unless we stop and take the time to listen to their story. My faith is increased when I see the habits that some of you have to reach out in time of need in nothing short of miracles when you steadied somebody when they were so shaky, and my faith is increased when I see that thing. My faith is increased when I look at CAM and look at a bunch of a small subculture of uneducated losers and how God is blowing on their efforts and their fruits and millions and millions and millions of dollars are going to help. Uh, worldwide. I think there's something there. I think, I don't know if you want to, but I want to, I, I think I'm, I agree with Malachi, uh, with the Lord when he said there, go ahead and just, just do what you're supposed to and see if I won't blow on yours and, and incre- give you increase. Sacrificially give. Lester Troyer used to have a, s- a phrase in a sermon that he used that was such a blessing to me. Uh, are, you, are we different by degree or are we different in kind? Are we, as a people, different by degree? Or are we different kind, a different kind? And we're a different kind. By the grace of God, we're a different kind, I think. And our differences are evident in the blessings. Our differences are, are really evident in, our, in how we view finances and stewardship. There's somebody I know that when they got married, they said, we want to give 10%. And, and it was hard. They had to give it the first fruits or it wasn't going to happen. They had payments for rent and they had uh, needed vehicle transportation 
and they ran old beaters, but it was hard. They could hardly make it. The only way they could give that 10% was when they brought it home, they took it and gave it. And it was out of the picture. And then the Lord blessed. And they said, if we can, let's give more each year. And they'd sit down and pray about it. And at the end of a couple years, they said, let's give 11%. And then they gave 12%. And then they gave 13%. And they'd pray about it each time. And each time the Lord would meet their needs. Each time the Lord would see things. And, and, and sometimes it would look incredibly hard and difficult. And uh, a testimony, as this person was older... They were giving 91% of what the Lord was providing. In that there um, thing of uh, life in the shoe, she writes about how there was this single person making 60000 and she was living on 60000 And Doris Schmucker says, I cannot imagine how somebody could. She's very frugal and very was raised in a very frugal setting. And she said, I cannot imagine how a single girl could spend 60000 And one of her friends said, oh, I can. This girl saved and lived on 28000 instead of 60000 and gave the rest. And there's one point that kept coming back to me, and that is that God gave sacrificially. And He doesn't need our money. He... He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need our time. He doesn't need it. Somebody else can do what he wants us to do. But what he wants to do is train us with it. And he gave sacrificially. He gave his son. We were bought with a price. And he gave sacrificially. And he doesn't want us to get caught up on the 10%. He wants to get us caught up on the principle And giving something does something for your soul. There is nothing you can do that is that you reach out and study someone or you help someone, but there's giving something has a healing. It does something for a people. There is something there. And and God, because He loves each one of you, He wants to train you that principle. God gave sacrificially. Are you looking forward to your final audit? Let's kneel for prayer.